Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be in just a moment. And I think what I'd like to do is I want to read to you our passage of Scripture this morning first, and then we're going to just kind of walk through this this morning. And this is a little bit different order, and the verses may not be on the screen. That's okay. But in, what we just, in light of what we're just saying, in light of what we have to celebrate this morning, I want to read to you the passage of Scripture that we're going to break down and study in just a few moments. I'm going to begin in verse 13 of Colossians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter. He's writing a letter from a jail cell in Rome. He's writing a letter to a group of believers 1,200 miles away in a city called Colossae. And he's writing to them for certain particular reasons. And we're going to break down what those reasons are in just a minute. I want to just read this passage of Scripture to you, beginning in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. It says this, For He, that's Jesus, has rescued us from the domain of darkness. Isn't that good news? If you're here and you're a believer of Jesus Christ, what I'm about to read is true of you and it's true of your Savior. You have been rescued from the domain of darkness. You have been transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we are having, present tense, we are having redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that good news? Then Paul doesn't stop there. He continues on to speak of this Savior, this Redeemer, and he's going to speak specifically of the glories of Christ here. This is one of those high water marks in all of Scripture. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Paul goes on and he says this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus makes God knowable. The invisible God is clearly seen through the Lord Jesus Christ. He, Jesus, is the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That's the ranks within the demonic realm. All of those were created by Him and for Him. And He, Jesus, is before all things. Before there was anything that existed, there was God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Existing in perfect unity before anything was ever created. There was Christ. He is before all things. In Him all things hold together. We're going to talk about that. Verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. An incredible passage about what's true of you, child of God, in Christ, and who this great Savior is, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we read Colossians, we're reading a real letter from a real man to a real group of people. It's written from the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago from house arrest, like I said, to a group of believers in the city of Colossae. And he was writing for several particular reasons. There was a man named Epaphras. You can read about Epaphras in here. Evidently, Epaphras was the guy that had started the church at Colossae. He had seen the church grow. He had seen the church thrive. Evidently, Epaphras had come to know Christ through the ministry of Paul in Ephesus, been sent to Colossae. A church was birthed there. And then over time, the church grew and the church was thriving and the church was healthy and man, great things were happening. But then over time, there became a, th- a threat 
to the health and the prosperity and the fruitfulness and the progress of that church, that group of believers. And the threat came in the form of some false teachers who infiltrated their way into the church and they began to be... They begin to teach what we know as the Colossian heresy, the Colossian lie. There's a lot of different intricate pieces to it, and I'll share with some of those. Epaphras was so concerned about what was happening in the church, he travels 1,200 miles from Colossae, and they didn't have airplanes, and they didn't have trains. It took him weeks to get to Rome where Paul was. And evidently, when he got to Rome, he said, Paul, church is doing pretty well. Church is thriving. we got some people growing. They're living on mission. They're getting along with each other. It's really good. But there's a massive threat. And the massive threat looks something like this. What if I were, were to stand before you this morning, and I did this to the first service and didn't warn them, and some people thought I was serious. I probably should have done that to you too. But what if I stood before you this morning and I said, all right, guys, how many of you are stuck in your, in your walk with the Lord? Or how many of you in your walk with the Lord, you're looking for just a little bit more? How many of you would like to hear a brand new truth that I've discovered? And, and this brand new truth, we're going we're gonna to leave behind the simple gospel message and, and we're going to move on past this simplicity of Christ and, and that stuff that you've been taught. I mean, you're so stuck right now and you're so frustrated with things. I've got a brand new truth. And listen, let me tell you something about this truth. An angel told me this truth. Yeah. I had this ecstatic experience, these angelic beings that, oh, by the way, are in control of everything, this demonic force, this angelic force, they've told me this truth, and I'm going to share it with you. And it will be the key. It'll be this secret you've been waiting for to propel you in your journey and propel you in your closer walk with the Lord. And all the Colossians are a lot of them are going, yeah, man, tell me more about that. Problem was, it was a big, fat lie. Because the problem was these false teachers were saying, okay, in effect, the message of the gospel, Christ died, buried, resurrected for the sins of the world, for you to be redeemed, for you to know God, for you to have perfect righteousness in the eyes of God, for you to be a son or a daughter, for you to be adopted, for you to have an eternal inheritance in Christ, the gospel message all paid for in Christ and Christ alone. That message is way too simplistic. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. So these Colossian believers began to drift from the simplicity of the gospel message and start to look for this more. But this more came in the form of false teaching from these false teachers. And then they begin to say, this, this Christ, I, I, know you, I know what Paul said and I know what he taught you. But you've got to understand... They had this heresy that involved how the world was created and the person of Christ was not really God. He was kind of an emanation from God and, and true knowledge was found in the stars and true knowledge was found outside of Scripture and true knowledge was found Christ is okay, but there's so much more out there. Don't limit yourself to the truth of Scripture. Don't limit yourself to Christ. There's so much more. And they begin to, watch this, they begin to minimize the person of Christ and make him less than who he really was. And they begin to add to the gospel and say the simple gospel of what Christ has done is not enough. 
And the believers started latching on to that. It involved a little bit of human philosophy. We lived in the Roman world. Knowledge, this pursuit of knowledge just for the sake of knowledge, which pursuit of knowledge is not a bad thing at all. We are to pursue knowledge in Christ. The basis of all knowledge is God's Word, but we pursue knowledge. In, in the Greek day, Roman day, they just pursued knowledge for just knowledge's sake. And the more complex and the more confusing, the better it was. The really smart guys were the confusing guys. That's the way it was. So they said, listen, this simple gospel message is way too simple to be believable. You better not stake your eternity in that. There's more. So they wrapped it up in the human philosophy. They wrapped it up in an astrological element, meaning in that day they had a fascination with the stars and planets, believing that in them they could find the answers to life's mysteries. They had this whole network, this whole system of teaching, that there were these codes and these patterns found in the stars, and that's what really unlocked meaning and purpose in life. You want to know what your future is? How do the stars align today? And Paul writes and says, that's awesome. I'm trying to tell you about the one who created the stars. There's a little bit of a Jewish ritualism that had snuck in in this lie. Some of the Orthodox Jews had snuck in and said, Okay, Jesus is fine and all that. The gospel message is fine. But if you think that's enough, you better be circumcised. You better keep the Sabbath. You better keep the dietary laws because all those are necessary to be right with God. So this fear that began to come in began to be wrapped in this enslavement to rules. And these things that were a mere shadow of Christ. So that began to sneak in. There was an overemphasis on demonic powers. These teachers were claiming, hey man, I had this ecstatic experience and you need this experience. This experience will vault you into the next understanding and I, you really understand. And, and this angel gave me this message and I'm going to share it with you. So there was a lot of confusion going on at the church at Colossae. As Paul writes this letter and I'm I hope you guys have been reading along. We've provided a reading guide for you, and we're talking about it in our life groups, and we're walking through this over the next three months. We're digging into Colossians. I hope as you've read it, you've, you've come across some words. Paul says words like deceived. He says you're, you're deceived. He says you're being held captive by you, these things that you're pursuing that are promising freedom. They're actually holding you in bondage. Falsehood and sin always does that, by the way. Promises freedom, results in bondage. He said you're being held captive. You are being defrauded of your prize. You are following a shadow instead of the reality. And Paul realizes these things. He hears these from Epaphras. And he sits down to write the letter of Colossians to clear these things up. Namely, here's what the book of Colossians is about. I'm reviewing a little bit here. The message of the gospel is absolutely sufficient. And the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is better than anything you can imagine. That's why Paul writes Colossians. So to this group of believers here, as you, as you read it, you can read the incredible love Paul has for them. You can read the incredible concern that he has for them. And I'm going to pick up again in verse 13. I'm going to give you two truths, two vital truths that come straight from the text. Not from an angel, from the Word of God this morning. that come straight out of Colossians. And Paul is saying, you want to be firmly rooted, you want to grow, you want to thrive, you want to be fruitful. I mean, all these things that are yours in Christ. Two truths you got to know. Ready? Number one is this. From verse 13 and 14, Paul makes it very clear this. The completed work of Christ is thoroughly sufficient for you and me. 
verse 13 and 14. Listen to this. We've already read it. I'm going to read it again. It says, For He, Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness. Done. Finished work. Completed work of Christ. He has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we are having, present tense, redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says, I've got to remind you, don't leave the gospel message behind in some kind of pursuit for knowledge. The gospel message, we don't take what Christ has done as believers and shove it to side and say, okay, now we're really going to grow. We say, okay, here's what Christ has done, and now everything in my life is an implication and is impacted and transformed by what Christ has done. The gospel, what Christ has finished on your behalf, He has done everything necessary for us to be made right with God. He's done everything necessary for us to be adopted as sons and daughters. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. Christianity following Christ is growing in the implications of what's true about the gospel. You got a whole Bible here that's building on the realities of what Christ has done. We don't leave it behind. We grow in it. And mature in it in an understanding of the finished work of Christ. Now, Paul explains some things here. Incredibly important for us. He says you've been rescued. It's good for us as believers, no matter how long you've been a believer, to, be rem- to remember what you were like before Christ. You were rescued. The word rescue is an incredible word. It means to snatch from danger in order to bring to oneself. It's a picture of a lifesaver or or like an EMS individual. Somebody's floating down the river. They are going to their doom. They don't know how to swim. They're hopeless to get out. And that rescue worker pulls them out from safety. That's only half the picture. The word rescue means it's not just a rescue worker. It's a father reaching a son and pulling them out of the mire and pulling them to himself because he loves them so much. That's the word rescue. Jesus didn't just save you. God just didn't, didn't just save you and die for you so you could say, yeah, I'm forgiven of my sins. He died for you so he could forgive you your sins to make you righteous in his eyes. What? To bring you to himself in a dynamic, growing, eternal relationship. People say, yeah, when I die, I'm going to have eternal life. Listen, eternal life is not a place. Eternal life is a quality of life that begins the moment you trust Christ. The quality of life of God himself becomes your quality of life. Tainted with sin, we still struggle with sin, but there is a life that is now yours because Christ comes to live inside of you. You're rescued. You've been transferred, he says. He says rescued from what? The domain of darkness. Before Christ, listen, those people that are on your list that don't know Jesus, They're not just confused and in trouble. The Bible says they and you before Christ, anyone who doesn't know Christ, they are under the domain of darkness. Meaning that they live their existence in this life and even worse in the life to come under the dominion of darkness of the enemy. Domain, dominion means authority. It means rule. Darkness is the realm of Satan and his evil power that involves deception, wickedness, evil, suffering, sorrow, and watch this, self. And the worst thing God can turn you over to is yourself. Complete self-centeredness. He says, but us, we, 
in Christ. We have been delivered from that. We have been transferred from that, from that dominion, that domain of darkness. We've been transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son. The word transfer means complete change of place, complete change of residency, a complete change of everything. He said the moment we believe, the moment we exercise faith in Christ, there is a radical transformation that goes on. We need to be reminded of this. Christianity is not just I make a decision. It's not just I sign a card. It's not just I agree with something. It is a radical transformation of everything in your life. Everything. New identity. New purpose. Your past is gone. Your future is set. Your present is under His control. There is life given to you in Christ. Paul says you have been transferred. You now are part of the kingdom of the Son. You are a citizen of the kingdom of the Son of God. Why would you pursue anything else as some hope for the future, hope for identity, hope for purpose? You are a citizen of the King. And that is yours in Christ. Paul says in him, Colossians 2.10, you have been made complete and he is the head over all rule and authority. The message of the gospel is this. Everything necessary for you to know God, to grow, to experience joy, meaning, purpose, and your future to be secure was paid when Christ died and rose from the dead. All of it. Listen, our growth as believers you got to hear this. Our growth as believers is not trying to earn something before God or accomplish something that Jesus has already accomplished. Our growth as believers is walking by faith, which means claim the promises of all that is ours in Christ now <laughs> because of the cross and the resurrection. There is life. There is joy. There is the power to love. There is purpose. There is meaning. There is all of that. At Romans 8 says you are a son by which you cry out, Abba, Father, you are a co-heir. All that one day is going to be Christ in his kingdom. You are a co-heir of that. Why in the world would we be greedy for money here on earth that's going to pass away when all the inheritance of Christ is ours someday? That changes the way you look at wealth. Why would we care what people think about us to the point that we'll do anything to try to manage our image when the Bible says you have been seated in the heavenlies, you are a son or a daughter of the king, and it was given to you freely in the grace of Christ. You did nothing to earn it. You can't lose it. It's by faith. Why would we fight to worry about status and what people on earth think about us? I am a son or a daughter of the king. Paul says, look. That's the message of the gospel and all the implications of it. The gospel, don't, it's not just, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. It has implications that affect every area of your life. Transformation. So here's the question for you and me this morning very quickly. What do you do with a message like that? What do you do with a message of the gospel like that? Well, the Bible says first and foremost you receive it by faith. Meaning I'm not going to assume and I'm not going to in any way expect that everyone in this room is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some of you who are merely wearing the t-shirt of Christianity, but you've never experienced radical transformation from the inside out. The message of the gospel for you this morning is by faith receive 
Place faith in, dependence, trust. Fling yourself completely into the hope that is given in Jesus Christ. He died. He rose again. He made everything possible for you to know God. Have you received Christ and placed faith in Him? So Paul says to those believers, listen. This message of the gospel is absolutely sufficient. In Him you are complete. But then he goes on, he talks about a second reality. We're going to spend the remainder of our time talking here for just a few minutes. He, he goes on in this incredible passage, 15 through 18. We read it just a few minutes ago. I'll read it again here in just a second. But it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He says, I want to remind you that Jesus, he's the firstborn of all creation. No higher rank in all of creation. Everything that exists, he created Everything that currently exists and functions in the world functions because Christ holds it together. Even the demonic realm and the angelic realm, the spirit world that you can't even see, all of that was created by Christ, exists for Christ, and operates under the reign and rule of Christ. Everything that exists, exists for Him and by Him. He is the head of the church. And on and on and on and on and on. So here's your second vital truth. is this. The person of Jesus is gloriously enough. He's enough. In pursuing Christ, we pursue the one that had all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The one in whom is all the fullness of God. And one in whom it all that is ours in Christ is found in Christ. Colossians 3 says, He is our life. So Paul says some pretty incredible things here. Let me just walk you through four things out of these verses that he says about the Son, the Lord Jesus. Number one, Jesus makes God knowable. Now I said that earlier. He says in verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The word image is the word icon. We get the word icon from it today in the original language. The word word image here literally means the God who is invisible... The God, especially in the Jewish mindset, could not be seen, has made Himself known. He has stepped into creation. He's taken on flesh. He's walked among us. His name is Jesus. And in Jesus is the image of God. Or the perfect likeness, the perfect representation, the perfect and complete manifestation of God is in Christ. Therefore, You want to know and understand and enjoy and behold and worship God. It's through the Son, Christ. Jesus makes God knowable. Jesus came as a baby and lived a life to to show us how God interacts in the heart of God and the mercy of God and the justice of God and the sovereignty of God and the love of God and the glory of God. You read through the Gospels, you see a man, the God-man, so that we can know this God. Hebrews is incredible. Hebrews 1.3 says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. God has made Himself known. See, the Roman world, and especially the Greek world in this day, like to deal with illusions, and they like to deal with this uh, intangible stuff that was out there. Uh, listen, I've got to get into some kind of trance. I've got to pursue this higher, confusing knowledge if I'm really going to know God. And Paul says, hold on, time out. God has come to you. 
God has made himself known to you. Therefore, any system or any conviction or any teaching that pushes Christ to the side in some attempt to know God is not the God of the universe at all. It's merely the figment of someone's imagination. Jesus Christ makes God knowable. How can I know God? How can I enjoy God? How can I walk with God? The world, believe it or not, is asking that question. And you have to understand, the world is getting thousands of different answers. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father. No man knows the Father. No man can even walk to the Father or with the Father but through me. Jesus makes God noble. He is the image of the invisible God. Paul goes on. He says, listen, let me tell you about this Jesus. Let me remind you about this Jesus. He says he's the source, the sustainer, and Lord of all creation. Verse 15, he's the firstborn of all creation. Now, firstborn doesn't mean he was born. It doesn't mean he, there was a time when Jesus didn't exist. The word firstborn means status or rank. Of all the creative order, there's none higher or none that has a higher rank than Jesus himself. That's his status. Firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. Paul's saying, look, you want to focus on all the creation, and you want to learn the truths of creation, you got to understand, let me first introduce you to the one who created everything. I was just pondering on that this week, the amazing things of creation. I was thinking about the enormity of creation from the massive galaxies all the way down to the subatomic level. I wrote down a couple things that just are staggering. Our sun... The sun that you and I can look out there and see. 864,000 miles is its diameter. It can hold 1.3 million earths within it. That's just our sun, our closest sun. The next closest sun, Alpha Centauri, is 24 trillion miles away. I mean, try to Google that. You can't even Google map that. I mean, it's 24 trillion miles away. So how long would it take to get there? Well, it takes light Light traveling at 186,000 miles a second for years to get there. It's a long way away. And billions of them. Billions of them. So then I looked up red blood cells. I don't know why. I just want to read about red blood cells. Here's what I learned. Ready? So you go from Alpha Centauri, 24 billion, trillion, whatever it is, miles away to the red blood cells. Red blood cells make life possible. They carry oxygen within your body, as you know. Watch this. Every second, here's a second, boom, your body just produced three million red blood cells. Boom, another three million. Boom, another three million. You get the point. And everyone in intricate fashion is perfectly designed by the Creator to do exactly what it was supposed to do. Boom, three million more. Incredible. From the glories of the galaxy down to the atomic level. The Bible says not only did Jesus, the power of God himself, that the creative order did not come into existence by some unknown impersonal force or some large gigantic bang. The creative order came into existence by a person, God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Scientists, as good as they can do, any, any theory of creation, any theory of our existence can only go so far because they cannot find a first cause. The Bible says there is a first cause. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He made something out of nothing. Why in the world 
Would we be ashamed in academic circles when the best academic circle can only go to a certain point and say, we don't know what's here. We do. Christ. And listen to this. He says, not only did he create all things. I love this. Now he says, he holds all things together. The word all things, all things together is literally the word sustains. It means that right now, at this moment, why does the world as we know it, from Alpha Centauri and every galaxy that's out there, to the subatomic level, what holds all that together? Why does the world function orderly and with laws of the physical world as it does? Why are those things in place? The Bible says Christ holds it all together. Why is 2 plus 2 always (laughs) 4? Well, the little 5-year-old girl that lives at my house, our foster daughter, is pretty sure it's 5, but she's wrong. It's always 4. You know why? Because God has established laws of the universe, even down to simple math. 2 plus 2 is always 4. Let me get a little more complex. Why does the law of gravity always work? (laughs) Now what? You're going to love this. I have a ball. Ready? Watch this. I'm so confident that this illustration is going to work, I don't even have to worry about it. Watch. Watch this. I guarantee it's going to work. I'm going to drop it. Boom. Look at that. It fell. Watch this. It's going to do it again. Boom. Watch this. Left-handed. Boom. You know why? Because Jesus Christ had decreed that it will fall, and it will fall at 9.8 meters per second squared. It falls the same amount of acceleration. Why? Because there are physical laws that govern the universe that God, through Jesus, put in place, and Jesus holds them in place. He sustains all things. Why do we not have to tell our kids to go straighten up? Or I'm sorry, kids, go mess up your room. Your room just became all too neat all of a sudden. I don't know what happened. Because there's a physical law of the universe called the law of entropy that things go from order to disorder. Always does, right? I don't know how your headphones work on your iPod, but man, when I pull them out of my pocket, they're a mess. And I didn't do anything to them. So at our house, we have to say, hey, go clean up your room because left to itself, somehow the thing just got to be a mess. Why is that? Because there's the law of entropy that Christ put in place and holds in place. Things go from order to disorder. The world's winding down. It's in place. Let me read you one more. I love this illustration. Ready? Physicist. Physicists today wrestle with the phenomena of why the nucleus of atoms holds together. They don't understand it. They took the oxygen atom, for example. Just... Don't let me bore you here. This is really good. Oxygen atom. Eight protons, positively charged. If you have a positive and a positive, they repel each other. Physicists say, okay, you got eight positive protons in that nucleus. Here's the point. Why do they not just repel each other and disintegrate? They don't know. How does everything at the subatomic level even hold together when they should repel? Listen to what a leading scientist who is an unbeliever said. This implies that all the massive nuclei of every atom have no right to be alive at all. They should all disintegrate. 
They should have blown up instantly. Yet here they all are. Some inflexible in addition is or something inflexible in addition is holding them relentlessly together. The nature of this in addition is also secret. One thus far reserved by nature herself. Meaning that's scientific talk for saying we don't know why it does that. It's a secret and only nature knows it. Uh, I think I know. It's a little phrase right here in Colossians written 2,000 years ago that answers it. It's not held together by an impersonal force. It's held together by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Listen, I don't know what that does for your life, but for me to think that, that Jesus right now is actively involved to the point that he is holding the galaxies in perfect perfect relation to one another and he's holding the subatomic particles in perfect relation to each other so that they don't just explode I can trust him I can trust him so can you right Paul says why are you pursuing all these things outside of Christ when you've got the sustainer of all that is inside of you you have the word that's been given to you in Christ. Don't defraud yourself of the prize that is in Christ. He is the sustainer of all those things. Now, future? <laughs> Listen. According to Scripture, and let me be very clear about this. I believe as believers, as Christians, we are stewards of the earth. It's been entrusted to us to care for it. However, 2 Peter chapter 3 says this. says, there is a day coming in the future when the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements, subatomic level, will be destroyed. The word destroyed, you know what that means? Watch this. Let loose. <laughs> there will be a day at the discretion and the bidding and on the time frame of King Jesus when everything will let loose and the earth will be destroyed. But watch this. Not until Jesus decrees it to be. I don't care how much hairspray you use. That'll, you'll get that on the way home. All right. So I know the one that's holding it all together. Paul says, listen, he's the sustainer. He's the creator, and he's the one that's holding it all together. Thirdly and quickly, I have two more. Two more, we'll wrap them up. Jesus rules over the spirit world. Verse 16 says, He created all things, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, what we can see, what we can't see, making an allusion to that spirit world. The unknown world, the unseen world, ultimately controls the seen world. There's an unseen world. He says, Jesus created all of it. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, I'm in verse 16, all things have been created through him and for him. What does that mean? Those are the ranks of the spirit world. There are rankings within the spirit world. Paul doesn't say demons or angels. He doesn't distinguish. He just says the spirit world. He says, here's what you need to know. In this day where there was this incredible attraction and this affinity for the spirit world there was this desire to hear from angels and to hear from these demonic beings and to find the answers in the stars Paul says listen you need to be reminded Jesus oversees all of that he created all of that I mean let me just give you a real quick tip this morning ready the tip is this don't get your theology of the spirit world from Hollywood right 
Here's what the Bible teaches. Number one, the spirit world is real. There is an unseen world. Number two, there are ranks within the spirit world. Dominions, thrones, rulers, authorities. Number three, it's a created world. Jesus created it. And number four, it all exists under the creative authority of Jesus Christ. Meaning, it is not mine to do battle with every demon that I think comes my way. Nor is it mine to say, oh, I have a problem with sin. It must be the demon of, you fill in the blank. As a believer, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness. You now exist under the kingdom of King Jesus. The Bible says we are to submit to him and the devil will flee from us. The point is relate to Christ, walk with Christ, and you have nothing to fear from the demonic world. Is it real? Yeah. Here's the influence the demonic world can have on you and me. Ready? Lies. Lies. Enemy doesn't have to possess you. Enemy doesn't have to pick you up and throw your head around like that. Whatever you've seen on TV, do not have to do that. Here's what, the, here's what the enemy can do. Here's, what, here's the game plan. Can I get Mike to believe a lie? Lie about God, lie about Mike, lie about the future, lie about whatever. If I can get him to believe a lie, then I can get him to live in bondage. Lies lead to bondage, always. Jesus said he was the truth, and the truth will set you free. Freedom is in Christ and his word. That's why we're studying through Colossians. That's why we're burying ourselves in this book. That's why we're not chasing some ecstatic experience or calling you to some next level of spirituality that happens with a zap. It happens over time as we walk by faith and we know the promises of God. We trust the promises of God and we live every day rehearsing the gospel, what's true of me. We live every day beholding the Son of God and the truth of who I am, who He is, what the future is. And it influences every single area of our life. That's what Paul's saying. Gospel's sufficient. Christ is enough. Last one, we're done. Verse 18, he says, He's also the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself, Christ, will come to have first place in everything. Last point, I'll say it quickly, is this. Jesus Christ is the head of his church. That day was, there was a lot of discussion of authority and who was the authority and who was the preeminent one. And there were these illusions, you know, these different emanations that they were talking about and all these things. Paul says, hey, time out. Stop. Hold up. Just tell you something. Jesus Christ is the head of his church. Not just a local body, the church, big C, the church universal, all believers of all time. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. What comes from the head? Direction, strength, purpose, unity, all that comes from the head. When we, listen, here's, when we are rightly aligned with the head, then we all get along. <laughs> when we are rightly aligned with the head, then we're all going in the same direction. Not my purpose, not my plan, not my vision for the church, not, not my preference. The Word of God, the Spirit of Christ, His mission, His purpose, His vision for the church. We align with Him as the head. That's when we move forward as a church. Adrian Rogers used to say, some of you all have heard this, anything with no head is dead and anything with two heads is a freak. Well, the church has a head and it's not me, it's Jesus. Our goal, our desire is to align ourselves and walk rightly with our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says the gospel is absolutely sufficient. The person of Christ is absolutely sufficient. Now, 
Here's what we're going to do. How do you respond to all this? Got one last point. I want to ask the team to come on up just to begin to play. We're not finished. Just want you to hang with me for a second. It's a final thought that stuck out to me here, and I'll do this very quickly. And I, I, I read this, and I just had to ask this question. Okay, verse, based on verse 16 and 18, why does all this exist anyway? Why did I just take that next breath? Your heart is beating within your body right now. You're sustained because Jesus is holding it all together. He has the power of life and death, right? We believe that. Why? Why did He give you one more breath? Why did He give me one more breath? Why is He sustaining your life? Why did He create? Why does Alpha Centauri exist? Why, do, why are there eight protons in the oxygen nucleus? Why? Verse 16. All things have been created through Him. He's the source. All things have been created for Him. For Him. Mike Lauren doesn't exist for Mike Lauren. My ultimate purpose, my ultimate joy, my ultimate meaning is not found in merely my own pursuits. I exist for Him. So do you. So do the clouds and the trees and the galaxies and the stars. It all exists for Him. Creation is a testimony. Psalm 19. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. C.S. Lewis, I've been reading him a little bit recently. He says this. It says, all of creation exists as shafts of the glory it strikes on our sensibilities. Meaning, everything in creation is like a shaft of the glory of God striking our senses and it's to send us back up to the Creator. For example, when the sunlight falls upon us, our soul is to run back up the sunbeams of light to the sun, the one who created it. Everything exists that we might step back and say, oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. I exist for Him. He holds it all together. What is true of you in the gospel is completely sufficient. Grow in it, through it, on it, and beyond. But you can't go past the gospel. Christ is more than enough for me and for you. Would you bow your head for just a second? Our team's going to sing. They're going to lead us. We're going to stand and worship in just a minute. Let me say this, if you're here this morning, as our team sings in just a moment, and you've never received this Jesus Christ, you wear the t-shirt, you come to the events, but you do not have the power, the life is not there, you've never been delivered, transferred to the kingdom of His Son, you do not know Christ this morning, right there in your seat, by faith receive, by faith receive. Turn from your own way. Turn from trusting in yourself and cry out to Him by faith. Jesus, I need you. Save me. I believe. I believe. I believe. The Bible says that based on faith, trusting in His promises, He will transform you from the inside out, make you new, give you a future, come and live inside of you. You will be purchased and you will know Christ forever and ever. The rest of us, are you beholding the Son? We walk in faith.
we claim what is true. Oh, listen, brothers and sisters, you've been redeemed. You're part of a kingdom. All that is yours in Christ. Let's behold the Son as He reveals God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for these truths. Lord, there's so much here we can't even begin to, we can't cover it all. But I pray that we're stirred in our affections for the King. And God, we will go to you in worship and we will live every moment in worship. And what we see in creation itself will propel us back to you. It's like, oh, what a God. Oh, what a Savior. We love you. We praise you. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray.